Turn with me, first of all, to Psalms chapter 112. Tonight, we'll stop for, for prayer in about 25, 30 minutes. But tonight, I want you to catch something that really, for us as believers, I think would be helpful if we, if, we, if we challenge and if we look at the needs that we have as human beings in the light of how God does it. What I want you to see tonight is I want you to see the hand of God using people, in, I'm sorry, the hand of God in the plan of God using people to do the will of God. Think about that for just a moment. See the hand of God in God's plan using people, you and me, to do what God wants done, to do the will of God. Okay? In order to appreciate the fact that God emphasizes this all over his scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, it's about Jesus Christ. That's the plan of God and our redemption. We don't have to struggle with that. There's, there's evidence after evidence after evidence, scripturally, that Jesus was going to pay the price for our sin. That it began with creation and it is carried through to this day. <clears throat> Every, every verse of Scripture, though, has context. It's in the light of other Scripture. Typically, if you're doing a Bible study effort kind of a thing, you look before the Scripture you're studying, and you look after to try to find the level of context, because very often it's the context that demonstrates the meaning of what's really going on. You and I get to get to take Scripture, use Scripture, listen to Scripture through the reading of God's Word. We get to utilize the Scripture to understand more about God and to understand more about our own sense of who we are, where we are, what we're doing, what we ought to be doing, those kinds of things. It's all wrapped up in, in different areas of Scripture. As an example, as an easy example, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Paul is writing to Timothy as a mentor. And Timothy as a mentee. And he's saying to Timothy, look, you're ready. And the net of it is, Timothy becomes the preacher that follows Paul to churches like Ephesus. It's context. Some of that background, some of the context that we need to understand is that when God records, he used the instrument of men and women. But he, he, he used that, used us to record what he wanted us to see, what he wanted us to do. He did not do it with thing that says, Drew Nivens, this is what I want you to do. And you look him in the eye and say, okay, God, I mean, I'll do it. We don't see that level of grabbing a hold of what God's doing. 
But what we do see is that God's working in the hearts of men. And if we'll listen and we'll seek God's way through the scriptures, God will reveal to us what it is he wants done. He'll do it for Drew, he'll do it for me, he'll do it for you. Psalm 112, just look at the first verse. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. I've said it in this room before. <clears throat> we, we, need to, we need to pay attention to what it is that God wants us to, to know and to do. And, and if we would just simply do what God makes absolutely clear in our, to our eyes and our hearts, we change the face of the world. It would go that far, it would do that much. This verse says we are to fear God. That's to have a reverential, high level of trust in a holy God. Recognize who He is and what He wants. We're to fear the Lord. But look at the latter, the last part of the verse, who greatly delights in His commandments. We are to delight in the commandments of God. How would you best describe delighting God in the area of commandments? What do you think would have to happen? Obey. We'd have to obey. It's exactly right. And that's, therein lies the biggest struggle we have as human beings. We get it early, early on. You see it in two-year-olds and three-year-olds, and then you get up to my age, if you could think that far. Uh, and you struggle to obey. Now, you say, well, is it always a struggle? No, it's not always a struggle. Sometimes you, you, you see it, and it's as plain as the nose on your face, and it's get with the program and get going. And after you get past being scared, that journey can be a very rewarding, very, very strong blessing in the mind and the heart of people and the relationship with God. God's looking for men and women who will respect and will follow him with an obedient heart. Now, this, the, these verses that we're studying will, will be written by an Israelite and by, for the nation, nation of Israel. I want you to catch the picture. Obedient believers following a holy God. Now turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 5. I can find it. I'm supposed to have a mark in here somewhere. Yeah, there we go. Look at verses 27 through 29 of chapter 5. I have to look carefully. Go near and hear all that the Lord our God will say and speak to us all that the Lord our God will speak to you and we will hear and do it. The scene is that of Moses and the people are scared to death. Moses has just come down off the mountain. The mountain has been shaken. The clouds have been up there. There's been all kinds of demonstration of God's power and they're scared. God's just going to strike them all dead. So they say to Moses, Moses, you, you talk to God. You, you give consideration to what God has to say. And you get it down and you write it down, take good notes. Okay? 
and come back and tell us what we're supposed to do because this is what God said we're to do and we'll do it. That's a pretty big statement. God tells you to do something and you go and do it. You're being obedient. And the opposite obviously is true. But listen to what God said to Moses about it. He said, the Lord heard your words when you spoke to me. And the Lord said to me, I've heard the words of this people which they've spoken to you. <laughs> They're right in all that they have spoken. Oh, that they had such a heart as this always to fear me and to keep all my commandments that it might go well with them and with their descendants forever. Now, it would be great if they kept their word. Did you study the nations of Israel and the kings of Israel as we've been doing in this room for several weeks now? As you study these, you know very quickly that the nation of Israel, even in this divided state, the ten tribes, the two tribes, they, neither one were being obedient to a holy God. Their track record was pretty poor in giving God glory. However, if you look at the new, in the New Testament, Luke chapter 10, verse 27. Somebody gets there before I do, and you might. Uh, read it. Luke 10, 27. I'm at Luke's up chapter 8. Yeah. Uh, somebody got it? Oop, getting closer. 27. And, be, and he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. He said to them, You've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. If we were to look at Mark uh, 12, we'd see the same thing. But the unction is to love and to worship the Lord God in obedience and actions throughout all the generations. Not just you, but your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren. You're still around your granddad. You know, <laughs> it's, it's the idea of giving God what God expects and desires for you and I to grow and to flourish. Now, what that doesn't mean is it doesn't mean that we get to have a blank check. Okay, this is not the kind of growth we're talking about where we got a you know fancy new car and a house that'll stand up to hurricanes and all that other stuff. So I want you to look with me very quickly at a view in first Samuel chapter 15. I know I'm taking you all over the place, but it's a, it's a storyline I want you to get. 1 Samuel chapter 15. Now, we could spend a lot of time reading different verses of this, but this basic account in chapter 15, we had it in this room not too awfully long ago. The story is the story of the first king of Israel. Anointed, planned, determined by, and selected by a holy God through the prophet Samuel. He's anointed to be king and he becomes king. And Samuel finally comes to him after he's been king for just a little while. He says, okay, king, 
<laughs> this is what God wants you to do. And Israel is to be used, their battle soldiers are to be used as instruments <clears throat> to bring judgment to a nation that was living in the land that had been grossly disobedient and, and, and against the Holy God and, and that being against them, they were against the nation of Israel and tried to wipe them out early, early on. And God's judgment time, the Amalekites. He said, I want you to destroy them completely. And he didn't mean leave a few here and a few there. He meant completely. That says, take care of all. At least it does to me. Saul didn't do that. Sent his army out. They come back. They've got animals. For, he, he makes the claim for sacrifice. The king of the Amalekites is still alive. His so-called obedience because he destroyed everything else. This so-called obedience was really disobedience. Now, have we ever faced that? You ever had your kids say, their head's going this way, and you know they didn't do it that way. Graham says, did you take the trash out? Oh, yeah. You kind of look around the corner, and it's still there. You took the trash out, right? Mm -hmm. Well, maybe not. We face it in family relationships, but we face it as adults when we give consideration, what is God asking you to do? See, God will equip us with whatever he wants us to do. He'll equip us for that task ahead. And the best place we can be is, is giving honor and obedience to our holy God. Sometimes that's scary. Sometimes it's well, it's almost beyond our comprehension to think that we could or should go down that path. But if that's what God's called you to do, that's what you do. That's what many does in Russia. Incomplete obedience gets us into trouble. Trying to redefine obedience but Saul did. Well, I've taken care of all of this, all of this, all of this. I've done what the Lord commanded. <clears throat> no, he hadn't quite done that. And he was, what he was doing was trying to give a different, uh, different definition so he could walk away with so-called clear conscience and enjoy the blessing of God. Samuel. Samuel tremendously, and I'm paraphrasing. Shut up, Saul. Who do you think you are trying to establish a command that God never gave? Who are you to, to decide the level to which things are supposed to happen? God already told you. Samuel told him, he said, there's no more need for discussion. And even as King Saul has no authority to change a directive from God, he didn't have it. And Samuel called him on it. Saul tries uh, redefining once again and, and he tries to blame well our, the soldiers did that the soldiers did that out in the field I, I didn't order that but that's what they did 
concepts. He's the king. He's the man in authority. He's the man who was to carry out what God had given instruction. So, God uses Samuel to pronounce the judgment of God on the nation of Israel and on Saul in particular. Now, what's he do? Somebody tell me. What's he do? Does he strike Saul dead right there on the spot? No. No, he did not. And to make a long story short, he, he basically said, Saul, your kingdom is going to be taken away from you. It's not going to happen instantaneously, but it's going to happen. And it begins right now. Some things that we look at, we, we struggle to understand. Sometimes they are the judgment of God. And well, it's not fair for us to judge in the sense of, okay, is it or isn't it? But we can certainly see things that could be uh, exercised that way. I won't try to name them because I'll only get in trouble. God doesn't leave them there. He doesn't leave the nation of Israel there. He doesn't leave the kingdom there. Okay, in the plan of God, a shepherd boy is about to experience a major change in his life. And first, chap- first Samuel chapter 16 has that story. <laughs> David gets anointed as king. Now, there's a couple of couple of neat things about that. One is that all of the brothers that were to be presented, his brothers, were to be presented to Samuel. Seven of the brothers came before Samuel, and Samuel looked at them and waiting for God to say, this is the one, this is the one, this is the one. And each one, he seems to think, okay, well, this is the way it's going to go. And it didn't. Gets all the way down. Seven, seven had been before him, and seven had been rejected. But Samuel knew, he knew that God's plan was a son from this family. So he did not throw up his hands and say, okay, got to go somewhere else. He said, do you have any more? Now the truth is he probably had already figured out that he had more. But he asked the dad, he said, do you have any more sons? said to bring them all. Again, we're looking at something that borders on incomplete obedience. He says, yeah, he said, I got a son that's up in the field taking care of sheep. He's just a kid. Sam said, bring him down. We'll wait. Hold on there. He says, we'll wait. And sure enough, he brings him down. David is anointed as king. I can't imagine what that must have felt like. He knew who Samuel was. And all of his young life, he knew that Samuel was a prophet to be respected and even feared in the nation of Israel. And here he was as a prophet anointing David, a very young man, as king. When Saul was king, is still living and very, very active in the thing we would call warfare. Catch it. He's going to experience major change, and God's design and plan is turning out to be something that God uses instruments, He uses people. Samuel directed. Okay, that is to say, he, he went out and did as God had directed him. Samuel protected, and, he, and he, he sets out to protect the event of the anointing, and still a just a tiny step later, he sets out to protect David 
from harm should things start to happen. And finally, Samuel selected and anointed David to be the next king. All part of a plan. Television shows doing reruns these days. Don't you love it when a plan comes together? Uh, anyway, get some. Plan is executed in ways we would not expect. David was the youngest. He was called out of the field. He becomes a servant in the palace of the king. He knew he was anointed, and yet he's in the palace of the very man he's going to replace, and he can't say a word about it. But he knew it. And he knew it was part of God's plan. And David, unlike some others, David believed God. And in that context of his belief, he did, he did the very best he could to do to, to go after and to be obedient to the desire and the plan of God as it was unfolding before. He didn't understand how it was going to happen, why it was going to happen. The timing, it was years from the point of his anointing to when he became king. It wasn't just a few weeks or a few months. It was years. But he moves on. He moves through the, the whole process. And it happens over time. God reveals only what he wants to. You ever do that as parents? He only revealed those things that he wanted David to know. And through the prophet that he wanted the people to know around him. God did that for a plan. Now, I want to, in the next five minutes or so, I want to give you a model. You consider writing this down. Won't take a book. You don't have to write one. Six words. But I want to give you a model. In the world of engineering, much of the scientific community, what we call the scientific community, are engineers. They're a unique breed. I know there's some engineers in this room. I'll just say in advance, guys, forgive me. Maybe ladies, forgive me. Because uh, engineers come from all over. But they think. They think very differently than many other people. The model that I'm talking about is a model that engineers use to solve problems. That's why engineers exist. It's all about solving problems. First word is the word discern. And by the way, they all begin with the letter D. First word is the word discern. As believers, as Christians, we are we need to view the possibilities with a spiritual view of any area, any area of scripture, ask God to reveal his truth. God's willing to do that. Proverbs 17, 24 is one of many, many verses that I could share with you in that, in that regard. But it's one that kind of demonstrates that. Discernment, having discernment. It's a gift. It's, a, it's also something that is developed and learned in, in and of itself over time. The first word is discern. The second word is discover. And by the way, these do not necessarily fall in a fully ordinal list. They can be mixed up. Not completely, but some anyway. <clears throat> to discover. 
to discover is to seek God's leadership and wisdom, even as you seek to understand any area of study God's brought you to. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 through 14, Paul gives a, a, a measure of explanation about discovery and about who we are in Christ and who we are before a holy God. <coughs> Discover. I'm going to have to hurry. The, sec- the next word, word three, is decide. See, part of our challenge as human beings is to make a decision. You won't always get it right. That is right as you may come to know it later on. But God charges us with decision-making so that we can take action. The one drives the other. And so, decision. What does the scripture say and what does it mean in the light of what you know and what is revealed? You use what God is making available to you. And a reference verse for that one is Proverbs chapter 16, verse 33. The next word is the word develop. By using the tools available, such as commentaries, study Bibles, etc., your knowledge is increased as God is honored. My wife uses the phrase that uh, references, references a holy God and a God's direction. So, in God is honored when we use his word, and God has promised that, that finally God, God is, is, is honored as we accept his word as the word of God. See, it's not just saying the words. It's living it out as though that, that is truth, and it has application to me. And oh, by the way, both the rewards and or any consequences may come out of this thing that will have application to me at some point. So, when you're studying the scriptures, God wants you to develop. What does he want to develop? He wants to develop your Christian maturity. He wants to develop your biblical knowledge. He wants to develop that heart of yours to a, a sensitivity to a holy God and to living a life that pleases and honors him. So it's the idea of development. Uh, The next word, and these two words could be reversed, uh, development and this one. The word is design. It's to use your study to define, to detail solutions to your needs as you seek the help of the Holy Spirit. See, when we're studying scripture, when you're first exposed to it, maybe as a new Christian, there'll be, there'll be key verses that people will give you that'll just pop right out of the page, hit you right between the eyes and say, ooh, I really need to grab hold of that. And those are important places. And the, the application of those verses uh, is, is something that may be a little different as you get as you study and as you come to understand things, they may be different than what uh, what you started out thinking. 
because you have to take them and study them in the light of other scripture. Okay, comparing scripture with scripture. So you use your study to define, to detail. It, as you're struggling with a problem, God has an answer. Seek his, seek his face, seek his word, seek an answer from a holy God. And let God develop you and take you on that journey. And finally, it's the idea of deliver. Okay, the sixth word is the word deliver. And that's to share what you're learning. Let me, let me back up just a second. For design, the reference is 2 Timothy 2.16. For develop, if I didn't give it to you, and I don't think I did. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 through 16. So develop, 1 Corinthians 2, 6 through 16. Design, 2 Timothy 2, 16. Deliver, this final word is 1 Timothy chapter 4, and it's verses 6 through 16. And I would remind you, even as I give you that reference, that's Paul talking to Timothy, trying to teach it. Timothy might have been a little, little bit on the hard-headed side, and it took him a little more to teach him than, than the average. I don't know. But as we look at it, as we look at it, I want to draw your attention all the way back, if I can get there. See the hand of God in the plan of God using people to do the will of God. When you're doing the will of God, you're going to be studying to show yourself approved unto God. Workmen that are not ashamed. You're going to be examining the scriptures and seeing what the scripture says about any given topic. If there was ever a time, and by the way, let me just say it this way, make sure you've got a good, solid translation of the scriptures of the Bible and not pieces of something else that's thrown in there for good measure. And even this development model is nothing but a it's nothing but a tool to help you study scripture. It's not scripture itself. Allow God to work in your heart, in your life, and as he exercises his plan and reveals to you what piece of that plan you have, go with it. Go with it. Let God do what God does. He's got far more power than you have, or than I have. See where God takes you.